Welcome to Toby Haydock's Who's Round, which this time is with a Norman who's also a Viking, but not a Saxon. Hmm. It's raining in Tenticton, but it hasn't stopped the beautiful garden blooming outside. And I'm at the house of a gentleman that's done uh, a couple of stints in our favourite programme. So I'm going to ask him who he is, uh, to introduce himself, and to tell me why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Well, I will tell you that sitting in the beautiful garden, which is not down to me at all, uh, name is Norman, Norman Hartley, and... Um, I'm going to tell you all I can remember about Doctor Who. Well, your first stint was beneath a beard and a helmet because you were oh, Ulf the Viking in the Ulf. Time Meddler. Ulf, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I go to some of these every now and again. They have called me to do one of these... Um, convention. Conventions. And it's incredible, the people that come in to uh, get signatures and that. Fathers and sons, you know, grown men, and you think to yourself, why do they want to know at their age? What are they interested in? What is it? But their memory of everything you've done. Oh, yes, they'll say, you did that. And I can't remember it at <laughs> all. And they'll tell well, me. They, they won't just remember, they'll have seen it recently. They'll have seen Doctor it, Who fans, yeah. we, watch, we watch Doctor Who over and over again. Yeah. So yeah. they'll know your every move. Do you have the? Do you have recordings of the Hartnell ones? Yeah, yeah. Mm. The Hartnell and the Tr I mean, a lot of the Hartnell and Tratton episodes are missing, but you yeah. obviously summed at the BBC archives like what you were doing because all of your stuff still exists. <laughs> well, yours, yours were missing for a bit. The Time Meddler was lost, and they found it in Nigeria. In Nigeria. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. Good so uh, God. that's why it was repeated a few years ago, and you yeah. might have should have got a royalty or two. Repeated, but back to I should, yeah, I've had a few repeats of it. Some quite good ones. I had, I had one only three days ago, four days ago. Oh, really? Yeah, somewhere last week there was one for a few pence. Not a lot. All adds up. It all adds up. Not exactly. bad nearly 50 years later either. No, I know. I did have one for 800 quid. Really? Oh, well, I think you've got somebody in Nigeria to thank for that, maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, do you, I mean, you were cast in that by Dougie Canfield, and we chatted about briefly before I started recording, and he cast, he did you, both of your Doctor Whos. Yeah. So were you, were you one of his sort of rep actors? Um, I did a lot for Douglas. And in fact, um, it was funny, Douglas was casting this particular, well, this part and maybe others. And I was up at the BBC club. I'd been away. Been touring in something, or I'd been doing something. I can't remember now. It's too long to go back. And I walked upstairs to the club, and along the corridor came Douglas. And he said, Norman, Norman, I haven't seen you. He said, I, you're right. You're absolutely right for what I want. Would you mind coming in, reading something for him after? So I did. We went and had a drink, and I went and read part of Ulf, just a few lines, and all was well. Next thing was, there he was, uh, saying, well, you know, contract and all the rest. 
and it brought you into uh, the vicinity of, I mean, two great uh, actors, William Hartnell and Peter Butterworth in your mm. first Doctor. Sure, dear old Peter, lovely fella, lovely fella. But they're all gone now. Yeah. And uh, Bill Hartnell, of course, was... Um, he went shortly after. He was going to... He had a great interest in the 1418 war. It was a sideline of his, and he had loads of books about it, and I talked to him about it. But um, that was a great interest of Bill's. And so you found him quite approachable then? Oh, very, of... very, yes. He could be... He had his moments... He did have his moments, which was very amusing. I mean, he would have a tantrum in the rehearsal hall and he'd storm out and Douglas would say to whoever was third assistant, oh, for God's sake, go down to the BBC club, buy him a beer and bring him back. <laughs> well, that's a good tonic. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what happened. Somebody would go down there and calm him down and say, it's all right, Bill, you know, all is forgiven, come back. And he'd come back. But he was approachable, very approachable. And uh, as I say, I got on well with him. And, and what would you, how would you sort of characterise Douglas as a working director? What sort of director was he to work for? Very, very serious. Very serious, almost to the point of losing his humour it was a bit of a joke, was Douglas. I mean, even with Sheila, his wife, who is now gone as well. I remember we arrived in the club to meet Douglas one evening. I went with Sheila. I was driving in there. She wasn't driving at the time. And um, Douglas came in and he was puffing and saying, I overran. Sheila, I overran. And Sheila said, well, thank God you're human. <laughs> <laughs> Douglas, Douglas said, it's not funny, you know, it's not funny, it's a very serious thing, which I suppose it is a bit, you know, but for God's sake, but dear old Douglas, he was a lovely fella, I liked him very much, but um, I think he thought he was England's Clint Eastwood, <laughs> <laughs> which, if you look at Douglas when he was bearded, was um, a bit like him, but... Uh, bit harder to do in the confines of a television studio at the BBC, though. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't think of anything more I can tell you about Douglas. I mean, I knew him for many, many years, and Sheila, and um, Joran, their son, became my godson. And, um, well, that's really all I can tell you about Douglas. Very sorry he, he, he did, died. I mean, this was an incredibly... An incredible thing because I knew he'd been ill. I knew he had something to do with his heart. And um, I don't know if you know what happened on the actual day. Well, Douglas and Sheila had been downstairs. They'd been having a party with a few people, which included myself. It was hardly a party, just a dinner. And Sheila said, we're getting up early in the morning, Douglas. I'm going to bed. She went off. She, no, Douglas said that. I beg your pardon, I've got it the wrong way round. Douglas said, we're getting up early and we've got to go so-and-so. He went to bed. About half an hour, an hour later, Sheila went up there. And you know, when somebody is sleeping, they always sort of, uh, they move a bit. And after a few minutes of her reading, she denoted that he was very, very still. There wasn't a movement. He was dead.
terrible thing, terrible. And um, that was the end of poor old Douglas. 48. Is that how old it was? So, yeah. I don't remember how old he yeah. was. 48. Yeah. 48. Yeah. He, was, he worked for the BBC for years. And Sheila kept on at him that he'd earn more money if he freelanced. And he kept on the safety of being contracted to, be, to the Beeb. And this went on year after year after year. And finally, he did get round to chucking it in, the contract, and finishing as far as the contract was concerned. And he went freelance. And um, he never stopped working then. What, what has made you become uh, an actor and, uh, and where had you learnt your trade as an actor? At RADA. So you trained at RADA, the big yeah, one. Yeah, I, I trained at Parada, which was, it doesn't exist now, but it was the Preparatory Academy to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and it was over in Highgate. And it also passed on many very well-known people. One of them, who was a great friend of mine, was Dottie Tewton. Ah, yes. Dear old Dorothy. Um, not Well, she wasn't so old when she died. Oh, beautiful, lovely actress. She's a lovely actress. Lovely, lovely actress. She just got uh, damned if that's the right mm. word, just before she died. Um, but there were a lot of people, a lot of us, and we, uh, I went on to RADA, along with many others. And um, there was another one I did. Yeah. No, that, uh, was, that was the invasion with Patrick Troughton, and that was, that was Douglas Gretchen right, again. That's right, yes. And Clifford Earl as a couple of soldiers. Um, you do a lot of staring at radar screens. Yeah, that's right, that's right. My God, how many times have you seen this thing? Oh, the invasion is brilliant. It's a great story. Yeah, Very that's tense. right. Yes, the Cybermen, Kevin Stone is in it, and Peter Halliday. Oh, everybody. Yeah. Everybody was very happy. There was one talk at one time that Olivier was going to do one. It didn't happen, but that was just the talk. So, um... Would have been good, that. Incredible. So do you remember Patrick Troughton at all? Yes, I do. Oh, yes, I remember Pat. What sort of character but, was he? Um, he, was a, he was a nice man. I didn't know him that well. I knew him to just have a laugh and a joke with. Yeah. But um, I didn't know him as I knew Bill Hartnell or Douglas, for instance. But um, Yeah, I, have a, I actually have a picture of you in The Invasion here, um, which I don't know if it will jog on, because you're playing a soldier. I don't know if you had any qualifications to play a soldier. Well, I was a soldier once. Well, well Douglas liked casting that's authentic right. soldiers. Yes, yes, that's the one. I reckon my hair was a bit long for a soldier. If, I, if I'd have been seen like that, get that hair cut, <laughs> it would have been, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. That was the that was the invasion. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah. And that that's that's Clifford Earl. Clifford Earl, yes. who was also a soldier because he was one of the soldiers who was at Portman Down. He's, oh, was he's ever since he? he's campaigned for remuneration for the soldiers that were essentially experimented upon at Oh, Portland right. He, he told me an incredible thing that he was filming on something else on Salisbury Plain. I think it was a commercial he was doing. And all the unit saw this bright light come out of the sky and hover. And then one of the assistants was sent to the nearest air, air base or to call them up 
call them up on the phone. And they said, no, they've had several reports of this. And a few minutes later, they did see a jet aircraft come across to this hovering light. And as it drew nearer, the light went off sort of a million miles an hour. And Clifford told you that? Clifford told me that he, he said, I saw it and everybody else on the unit saw it and stood and looked at this light. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you, you, your career, because acting is notoriously a very difficult career to sustain. Oh, tell me that. Oh, but you, tell. But, you, but, I mean, you've got a lot of credits and you, you seem to keep working. Well, I did. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's dried up. I mean, watch, watch the box and see how many older, I don't say old, but older people. Well, I am a bit older now. 83, I think, 82 or 3. Really? Yeah, you, you get to the age where you decide to forget the age and so I either go back one, <laughs> if, I can, <laughs> if I can. Um, so, you know, I, I have a hell of a job to remember some of the things. I know I've got quite a big um, list of yeah, things that I can call back CV, on. Yeah. A good CV, but um, now, no. The last thing that ever happened was, I don't know what it was, um, Maria, a girl called Maria Bratza, who was doing panorama. She was PA to the director who did most of the panoramas. And Maria rang me up and said, we want you as one of the MPs. I can't remember. They were doing something. She wanted me as a double for an MP. But it didn't happen. Well... Anyway, so God knows what it was all about. They said, no, sorry, it was off. So I didn't mind. But, but that's about all. But as you say, it must be difficult. To, I mean, because I could ask you about any jobs that I've seen of yours and you've done, and you might have no memory of them. So I suppose it's better if I ask you, what are the, what are the jobs that stick out that you've enjoyed doing or that you thought you did your, your best work in? Jobs I enjoyed. I mean, obviously, one would enjoy being paid to go to a nice place on vacation. Was the Panther? The Pink Panther, your return Pink of the Panther. Pink Panther. Yeah. Yes, we had a week or ten days. I think I can't remember in Nice, which was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as, as Clouseau would say. Yes. Um, I enjoyed, uh, it's going back a hell of a long time, but I enjoyed doing Tom Brown School Days. But uh, as far as enjoyable, it's, it's a very difficult question. Because it's very easy to look at an actor's stay, uh, TV and film stuff because yeah. the internet is a watch. Yeah, of course. What about, did you, I mean, you must have augmented that career with, with stage work as well. Did you do Oh, yes, I did work? a lot of stage work when I was younger. Quite a lot. Um, various various um, small theatres that don't exist today. The new Boltons, for example. Oh, Tina's got the other phone upstairs. The new Boltons. There was one. I did the trial of Oscar Wilde there. Um, and who was your Oscar Wilde? An actor called Peter Reynolds. Oh, yes. Do you remember him? Yes, he died in a fire in Australia. Oh, God, did he really? Yeah. I knew he died, but I didn't know how it happened. Yeah. In a fire. Yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Terrible. 
poor man. Yeah, sorry, I'm a bit of a harbinger of doom when I come across it. People tell them. No, not at all. I mean, you've got a fantastic memory to remember all these things. Well, I can often not remember what day it is, but if it's a fact about an actor, I'm pretty good. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and did you ever? Did you ever have to do that thing as an actor of, of doing other jobs, or did you have? To oh yes, so yes, what, what I sort did. Of thing did you have to do to fill in when you weren't acting? I worked for a bookmaker's. Earl's Court Road. I I nearly lost a guy about ten thousand quid on one day. I tell you what what happened was some of the, the phones were ringing the whole time. People were ringing in bets. You know, it was in the days of bookmakers, which don't exist today. They are um, they're they're not bookmakers. They're um, I can't remember what they're called now. But anyway. Betty shops, shops yeah. that's right. But in the days of bookmakers, everybody's ringing in, you know, on the dogs tonight, I want this, I want anything on that, anything on that. Suddenly the chief clerk, where we sat over one side of the room, and the boss, Harvey his name was, who was a very bad loser, and the chief clerk said, Chris, who took this bet? And I looked at it, I said, it's mine, why? He said, you better hope it doesn't win, because of all these come in, Harvey's going to lose 10,000 quid. Now, this was all of 50, 60 years ago. So you can imagine what 10,000 quid would be. He would have gone out of his mind. But luckily, it had to be, it was sort of bet where everything had to win. An Yeah, an accumulator. And it didn't. One fell, so... I was able to breathe calmly again. I was living in Paris. I went to live in Paris at one time. Tell me more. I was there for many years. Well, it all happened when I went to Dogsit. And I went over there and I thought, well, while I'm doing this, I might as well make use of the time. So I went to see my agent and said, look, I'm going over to Paris for a few weeks. He said, go and see, and I can't remember the name of the agent, but he was in the Champs-Élysées. So, I went and saw this guy, and he said, how is your French? I said, it's schoolboy French, almost non-existent. He said, that's exactly what I want. So, I thought, well, this is great. So, there was a film who they had got in, an American guy who spoke with perfection French. There was no, and he couldn't, you know, they wanted somebody who didn't speak French, obviously, was sort of fumbling with the words, and that was me. So I went over there and took the dog down to Nice, to the Victorine Studios, and did me a little bit in a film that David Niven was in. I can't think what it was called again, because this is going back so many years. And... Um, I did that and I stayed in Paris for a while and in the time I was in Paris I did quite a few commercials, did a lot of radio work and um, that sort of took me through with having a bit of work while I was there. Great. And then I came back to England and I can't remember now what started it off again but I know I worked very quickly. I started work again. But when I came, when I went in the army in the beginning, I was going to be contracted to the rank, rank organisation. 
but uh, the casting director, you probably remember Maud Spector. Mm -hmm. Maud said to me, um, instead of a screen test, I'm going to give you a part in a film called Trotty True. That was another thing. Do you remember that film? No. Trotty True was with Gene Kent, James Donald, oh, everybody that you can think of. In fact, I shared the dressing room with Roger Moore, Christopher Lee, and somebody else. Whatever became of them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, whatever became of them. And um, I was playing her, her young boy, Footman. Um, now, they gave me that in place of a screen test. And afterwards, evidently, Maud called me up and said, this is great, this is wonderful. And I said, well, it's not so wonderful because I have my call-up papers for the army to do my national service. Oh, she said. Anyway, they got me deferred, the rank organisation did, to finish off this film. But of course, I went in the army and after two years came out and the rank organisation, if you remember, had practically gone broke at that time. They'd fallen by the wayside. And I think it was J. Arthur Rank's flower brother, flower, I say, as in he was a flower manufacturer. He sort of pulled him out of the... The uh, mire. <laughs> yes, the mire. And uh, thus it continued. But um, he was... It was, a, it was a great chance that I'd had, but I missed it. I came back and I saw Maud Spectre as well again. I said, you know, I understand now what's happened. She said, never mind, you come back at the right moment, casting on Thursday. I want you to go and see um, George Minter. Do you remember George mm -hmm. Minter Productions? So I went and saw George Minter and another, and the director called... Brian Desmond Hurst and um, I went to saw them and you know it was the part of Captain of School Sport taking over from the other one the older brother and I did that that was great I think I must have worked on that for about a month six weeks for in those days what would have been <laughs> nothing you know in today's terms happens a day and um then it sort of went on, thank goodness. It was either a commercial or something was happening day after day. And it seemed to be, you know, that things were really great and they were working in those days. But when television came on, came in, it seemed to change the aspect of everything. It didn't quite go smoothly. I don't know why. What, you think it was less work? Less work, less work, I thought. But, you know... But at that time, if I wasn't doing, if I wasn't doing filming, I could be doing stage. Mm. So that thus it kept me going on something all yeah. the time. Not like today. Not, <laughs> like, not like today exactly. But it seemed to slow down with. I mean, it kept going fairly well. I did work quite a lot. Yeah. As you've seen. Well, I think any actor that can start when you did and still be working in the nineties—that's. Well. Yeah. You know. Yes, <laughs> that's about it. But doesn't happen now no no i mean longevity i think in this business is a good career therefore absolutely yeah. absolutely if you, if you kept doing it point. you've done something right you've yeah. you've, you've you've succeeded yes I think, yes because a lot right. fall by the wayside yeah oh that's, they do were you always going to do it with it in your background at all i mean 
everybody in my business, in my business, in my family, everybody. My great grandfather was what's called, I mean, if you look up on the computer, you can get about two or three pages of my great grandfather. What's his name? Because the name is not, my proper name is not Hartley, it's Snazel, S N A Z E double L E, and that all came about with going into rep right in the beginning, many years ago, and going to see this agent called Gordon Harbord, who took a big intake of breath when he heard. He said, "But the name Snazel. I mean, today it would probably be good. It would be fantastic with names you don't like forget Snazel. But in those days, you pronounced it not very well then." But in those days, you couldn't, you had to have Bond, J, Derek Bond, or it had to be straight and plain and straightforward. So I changed it to Norman Hartley. But um, my great-grandfather was an opera singer and an, what was called an entertainer in those days. And he did a lot of very, very good work. He's mentioned, actually, I don't know if you've ever read any books by McQueen Pope. There's one called The Pillars... The Pillars of... Oh, well, Covent Garden. I think it's called The Pillars of... Anyway, he's mentioned in there. He was a very, very good opera singer. And then he toured, he went out to the most incredible places to tour and ending up in Australia. And um, then, after my father, he was in the film business. My brother was in the film business. My other brother, I had three brothers. The other brother was a, a, a documentary film director. So actually everybody in the family practically has been in. My mother played the piano in silent films. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yes, she sat there going, you know, I said, there was always a pianist to it. Yeah. And so she did that in these silent days. But she died when I was about five, so I can't remember her too well. Anyway, there we are. It's Well, it's wonderful, it's, it's wonderful that you've shared your, your memories. I mean, we've become ostensibly with the jump-off point of Doctor Who, so can you understand why it is that uh, that of all the things that you've done, that Doctor Who maintains this huge interest in people. I don't know. I'm, I'm not too far away no, from no, this. No, no, it's fine. Because I sat down the wrong place. It does, doesn't it? I mean, the last thing I do remember saying when I had to give a little speech after the last convention I went to, and I said, well, you know, long may it stay, this interest in Doctor Who. An incredible amount of people. I mean... They hadn't got a room, which was a magnificent, great big room at the back of a pub in Chiswick. I know. There wasn't room. You know the pub very near to the police station. Yeah. There was not... Hello. 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 Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's right. Pleasure. You had a coffee. I've had a lovely cup of coffee. Thank Did you. Did you find your tapes? No, I didn't. Thank you, love. That's the, the time meddler has just the been The time delivered. meddler, there was that one, and there's another one for the one you've just shown. Yeah, me. the invasion. That's right. That's right. We yeah. just had a look at a bit of that. Oh, you, oh yes. The, uh, in fact... Because you couldn't remember doing it, could you? And we had to wait quite a long time before your <laughs> bit came up. 
Yeah, he's, he's in episode brilliant. seven. Yes. Oh, no, that's, that's right, yes, he went through the whole lot. You watched the whole of The Invasion Waiting for Norman to Arrive? Yes. Yeah, episode, said, episode seven. I said, I know you're in this. He said, but I don't remember doing it. I knew Peter, Ru Peter Russell. Oh, Peter Russell, yeah. Yes, because I, I do extra work from time to time. Ah, okay. I, whatever they ask me to do, I do. I've worked for agents, because my husband was a casting director. Ah, so, okay. it, you know, we're all steeped in it. And um, Barbara and I used to work together, but her husband, Peter, was one of the other Vikings. Yeah, he's, well, he, he's one of the Saxons. Yes. He's Eldred the Saxon, well, he's, yes. He's one of them, I yeah. know. He's got a big beard, and yes. Because he died. Yes, early 90s. Six, yeah. Yeah, they had six children. Really? Yes. Six wow. children. They had six children. Hmm. An actor with six children, that yeah, seems I, mad. Yeah, I know. He was... And I think all his, all his children were girls. Oh, really? He had six girls. Yes, I haven't seen her for a while. I have got a telephone number for, for her, and I keep meaning to phone her up, because I think she lives in Ham now. Small world. Is this yes. acting world is a very small world. Yes. Very yes. small world. And you know Margot? I know Margot. Well, it yes. was Margot that put us in touch, yes, before me. She's so amazing. And whenever she was in the studio, do you remember she was wearing a little brown apron? Oh, did you? Well, I never worked with her, you see. No. I worked with her, but I couldn't remember what it was. Well, I, I did Churchill's People with her not a long time ago. It was so lovely because I think it was in Churchill's People. We all had the play, and I had a wonderful thing on my neck with latex and rice crispies and green toothpaste and it was so wonderful I brought it home because my son was about seven he was thrilled with it <laughs> brilliant yes. well it was Churchill's people it was a huge it huge was. thing and, and we had we had geese in the studio she, she, we had a flock of geese and we had these horrible steps that we had to come down with no sides and I don't like steps with no sides you know these oh, yeah, because they get the sides of castles and things Oh no, this was, and this is going back years and years when we used to rehearse during the day and record in the evening. Mm -hmm. And if we worked after 11 o'clock, they would send us home by cab. Oh, nice. It's nice, eh? Mm. Yeah. And we used to go away a lot. Went away with War and Peace up to. Oh, that John Davis did. Yes. Martin Margot worked on that, yes. Yeah. Yes. With Anthony Hopkins. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another huge production. But it was, it was very cold up then. It was, I think it was 1972 when we had the. Where, where was The it? cuts, you know, the electricity cuts. Yeah. And I took some candles with me. We went up there because there was no electricity. And I know one of the, Barbara Burmell, organised a dinner and we had no electricity. But we had my candles. I split them between us all, so we had candles. And we were having this dinner, and then suddenly, halfway through the dinner, the lights came up. But it was so cold, I and mean, Kettleston Hall was fabulous, wonderful, all these pillars and oh, marks, so cold. And there was a lovely, lovely costume guy, I believe. Charles, and he gave me a costume, brown velvet, long, long train. He said, because the train you can put round your shoulders to keep you warm. Oh. It was a lifesaver. Yeah. Would you mind if I'd use that in the in the podcast? Whatever you want. Whatever. You, you've been Thank recorded, you. Tim. Bonus, bonus info. Yes, it's oh, all. I didn't that. <laughs> that's all right, too, because it's because it's we have a broader remit than Doctor Who. At all. Oh, wonderful. Don't mind at all. Well, I've thank been you. doing this since nineteen. 
know where all your clothes? She said, darling, I'm wearing them. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, well, what a bonus. What a lovely bonus. Oh, good. Oh, good. I love it. Well, that's, that's, that's nice. Um, so what's your charity, Norman? Because you've very kindly given me your time. And uh, the, the listeners, you haven't paid for this, listeners. So please go online and well, donate your yeah, charity. Well, you know, that's, um, my father died of cancer. Cancer research. research. Yeah. So the last thing, apart from saying thank you very much, is um, yeah, Doctor Who started fifty years ago this year. Fifty years this 50 year. Fifty years this year. It started the day after the assassination of John F. Kennedy. God. Uh, it was incredible. a little, little, a little late because of the breaking news, and I'm sure the Doctor Who fans were furious. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, what's yes. your what's your message to those those Doctor Who fans out there listening to this? Keep broadcast? watching. Keep watching. Long may it last with you. Because it's it, it is it's a marvellous thing. Oh well, look, it's been a real pleasure, and thank you so much for your. It's been your nice meeting you. Uh, so Norman Hartley, thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much too. Well, or should that be Norman Skizel? Well, it could be, could be. I hope that's okay. Next time round. Thanks to Norman and to Tina, who, as it turns out, was also an extra in Snake Dance and has photographic evidence to prove it. Um, so that was lovely. And they also gave me a, a, an umbrella because it was a rainy day and I still treasure the fact that I have an umbrella that once belonged to a man that was in the Time Meddler. I love it. Um, the next Who's Round is with somebody who for many years was very difficult to track down and who has never spoken about Doctor Who before. How exciting. Stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, please donate to Norman's charity, which is Cancer Research, which is www.cancerresearchuk, all one word, all small case, cancerresearchuk.org. And my thanks to Margot Hayhoe for the contact with Norman and indeed many other people that I've been fortunate enough to interview for this podcast, which I'm now going to thank you for listening to and bid you goodbye. And um, previously I'd worked with a makeup artist um, who I thought would get on very well with Julian, and so I invited them both for dinner one night. And as it happened, they hit it off and they got married, and I believe they're still together and they have a son. In fact, we went to the wedding, Mick and I went to the wedding, and um, that was uh, a great, a great achievement, really. I've, I was in the marriage marriage business, and and uh, later on became a marriage and family therapist. So I guess that was my first uh, foray into putting people together. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Fourth Doctor Adventures. In the year of our Lord, 1481, novice Eleanor went from her chambers in dead of night, never to be seen again. 1915, another girl goes missing. And another in 1946. And another in 1961. But that must be a coincidence. I don't want to alarm you, but I don't think we're alone in here. Oh, Sister Francis, what's the matter? 
It's all the girls in the college. It's like they're in some kind of trance. Who exactly are the three sisters? I can see them. What? Three women in black robes. I cannot see their faces. But if you can see them, Leela, that means you're next. Doctor Who. The Cloisters of Terror.